Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and uh, welcome to the Flypass podcast. For this episode, it's a team effort as once again we're joined by Flypass editor John Sutheran and social media sensation Tara Leggett. Hello guys, how are you? Hi there, very well, thank you. Sensational, apparently. <laughs> At the time of this recording, we are currently working on the November 2021 issue, which is a special issue commemorating the 85th anniversary of Bomber Command. And uh, as lockdown restrictions are these, we decided on a team outing to Bomber County, uh, Lincolnshire, to take in some of the key sites. The plan was to see what we could comfortably visit in one day and taking at least one attraction everyone with an interest in Bomber Command should visit and also point out a few places of interest along the way. We all agreed that we should visit the Bomber Command Memorial, uh, the International Bomber Command Centre. That's somewhere significant I don't think any of us have been to before and that's probably a good place to start. So why don't we start there with uh, with you, John? What do you think to to the place okay yeah so i i only recently kind of got to know what was there and uh, so we drove up from stamford and we were there within the hour i was really surprised it's, it looks brand new there's obviously a fantastic memorial there but there's also a, a great museum it's really well curated with lots of interesting kind of multimedia interactive attractions there lots of information lots of incredible stats and facts i mean some of them are really mind-blowing and it was busy, which I was quite surprised at because it was kind of a grey day midweek in August, but there was a really nice buzz about it and it just seems to be really well run with lots of great volunteers. I think I really loved the, like, obviously the setting where you can look down from the spire and you can see the Lincolnshire Cathedral, which is obviously quite a huge landmark, wasn't it, for 617 Squadron or, well, any bomber squadrons. They knew where they were as soon as they set their eyes on Lincolnshire Cathedral, I think. Yeah. It was also it was like one of the last things they'd have seen, isn't it? Like the last of the local landmarks before they headed off. So I think it was a, one of the things that a lot of the crew saw for the final time. So it is quite a poignant sight, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because I've read up a bit recently about <laughs> the lack of navigation that these crews had. So Tara's point is really interesting that having that kind of huge beacon up there on the hill, something to aim for must have been such a benefit. I think as well, like you mentioned with the exhibit they had that massive massive interactive map on the wall which showed from 1939 to 1945 every single bombing raid on the whole of Europe and I think it just lights up like a Christmas tree like I think for me that was the most impressive part of the IBCC obviously the memorial is absolutely incredible and lovely to have there and you've got all your names sketched everywhere but that for me I think just sort of really put it into perspective just how intense really wasn't how it? intense it was yeah it was quite a crazy infographic because i think it shows every single bombing raid of the allies americans you know raf and luftwaffe isn't it so every single bomb was dropped or a bombing mission condensed into 10 minutes so yeah. so there was a calendar wasn't there, on the left day by day calendar on the left hand side and so as it went to august the 1st 1942 it showed you where the bombs were dropping right across Europe and so on throughout the entire period of the war. It also showed you how intense the drops were, didn't it? It was like a small dot was like a small raid and then like a big drop was like a massive attack. I found that quite interesting as well. It it touches you really because it's like, wow, it's almost like you're watching all this happen. Yeah, yeah. It kind of puts it into perspective because when you see it first dot, it's like a couple of bombing raids, like little flashes in like Norway and, then a few in France, and then it's sort of you can see 
the Battle of Britain, you see when London starts taking a, a pounding, and then you see the Blitz, you see when America starts bombing from Italy as well, and then you see the Normandy campaign as well, you see the Normandy coastline taking a hammering, and also Malta. Yeah, that was like a light switch, wasn't it? Just, you know, June the 6th, 1944, suddenly, or even the day before, I think it was, that suddenly Normandy just lit up, like yeah. a Christmas tree. I mean, just astonishing. I think what really touched me quite a lot was when John you sort of stood there for the whole 10 minutes and you were like I was watching for this one specific attack that I know took place on York yeah your hometown Mm. in York and you were like I was watching for it and I knew when it was coming up and it was there on that day and it I think that really sort of took me aback because it was like oh okay it's wow (laughs) you know it's so accurate and so so well done to give obviously these people their they're due, really. Yeah. The thing that James noticed, and it's astonishing, because it's right on the bottom edge of the map, was Malta. Do you want to tell us about that, James? Well, it was just kind of crazy, because it just flashed constantly. It was just one lit up. And having been to Malta as a kid, and still seeing all of the sort of the bomb damage that was still there, what a pace that it took, you know? George Cross Island. I think it's a really fascinating place. But just seeing that just lit up constantly until sort of like late 1941, 1942, I think it was, and then it just stopped obviously, when we'd won over there. Yeah, yeah, astonishing. There was one fact, actually, that struck me, one statistic, and, and I hadn't realised this at all, and it's that they said that um, the Nazis, during the entire period of the war, dropped 74,000 tonnes of bombs on us, on Britain. And in return, we dropped, us and the American 8th Air Force, dropped 2.7 million tonnes of bombs back on them. You know, t- what's that, 40 times more? Just astonishing. So, you know, London took a hell of a battering and Coventry and Liverpool and, and other towns. But, I mean, what we did back was just mind-boggling. I had no idea there was such a discrepancy. Well, that's why Harris's famous quote, isn't it? Like the Germans sowed the wind, but they will reap the whirlwind. That was Yes, you know, certainly did. Totally. It's into perspective as well when, you know, all these, maybe not so much now, but in the years after the war, these veterans weren't, particularly forthcoming about what it is they'd been doing through the war and you can kind of understand it a bit more when you realize that this was what they were doing to suppose innocent people in a way yes it was for warfare but it's not something that a lot of the veterans that did it you know were proud of and again that's really heart-wrenching I think because it's quite it makes it even more real that you know the Germans were a very aggressive you know force during World War II and then you see a stat like that, and it's like, oh, but we gave it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, astonishing. But say it, it was total war, wasn't it? It was the only way we could carry the war or carry the offensive to Germany at the time. So yeah, you look at it now with our modernising it. It's a sort of a sad thing to think that you know civilians and children and you know women were bombed and killed. But at the time, it was total war, wasn't it? And, exactly. And you say it, the statistic of how many bomber command crews were lost, how many aircraft, how many people. It was the most dangerous thing you could possibly do in the war, wasn't it? Even more so than U-boat crew. Yeah, yeah. I think um, 55,573 air crew lost. 55,000. I kind of compared that, and that's the entire population of Weymouth. So that's literally like taking the large town of Weymouth off the map. And I think less than 50% chance of surviving a 30 sortie tour. Just mind-boggling. Well, that's it. I mean, when we wandered around the memorial, looking at all the names on there, Tara, you spotted a few legates on there. John, you were looking for one of your relatives. But just the sheer number of names on those walls is just, as I say, it's mind-boggling, really. 
especially like I said to you, you know, I'm sure it's the same for both of you. I mean, you're not exactly Smiths. Like, it's not exactly like I see a lot of leggets out there. Mm. You know, when you see, I think it was like four or five on these walls, it just puts into perspective just how many people were involved in the whole ordeal. You know, what are the chances? Well, quite clearly four times the chance of seeing any other legget nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, interestingly for visitors, um, so I looked first and there was a whole panel of S's and it wasn't, uh, so it's Arthur George Sutheran, who's a very distant relative of mine. He was in the RCAF and, and he died a couple of days after D-Day, but he wasn't on this panel. So I thought, oh, they've missed him off. But then I discovered that there was another panel and maybe it was foreign uh, airmen, I'm not sure. And he was on there. So if you do go to look for a relative and they're not on one panel, just have a search around because there seem to be more than one place for each letter of the alphabet. That's interesting to know, isn't it? Because all the panels were just like inundated with what looked like everything in in alphabetical order. You wouldn't have noticed that if, like you say, if you hadn't have looked into it afterwards. And the walk up to the memorial was quite interesting as well, because they've got obviously the um, sort of commemorative stones that people have paid for to mark, you know, relatives now. But there was there was more modern deaths on there. So like a couple of Vulcans that had crashed, obviously in training, like in the sixty four, and maybe that was quite an interesting addition. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And so the actual memorial itself is a kind of, um, do you want to describe it, James, actually? You actually worked out how tall it is. Is it it the wingspan of a Lancaster? That's the height of it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So when we were driving up to it, I thought it looked quite small. I was kind of expecting something sort of Angel of the North size. But when you actually get up to it, it it's an impressive sight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And actually, at the right angle, you can see the panels. And all these things are, are basically rusted iron or rusted steel, aren't they? They're not painted in any way. I mean, it, it looks fantastic. but And then behind all that is the cathedral on the hill in the distance. So it's it's quite a scene. It's a very poignant reminder, I think, isn't it? I think, you know, as memorials go, it totally does its job. I think you come away from there feeling more and more in awe of what the crews did. Definitely. Yeah. I was impressed with the whole thing, I think. I mean, I have to admit, I didn't have the highest expectations. I, w- I didn't know what to expect, but it way exceeded anything that I thought would be there. And um, I thought, the shows were really well curated because it didn't try to just bombard you with, I mean, you could fill halls and halls with stuff about Bomber Command, but they chose really, I thought, really pithy, really interesting and thought-provoking stuff. Not stuff like when we were walking out, you were like, you know, it's not stuff that you already automatically know. It was all like these little facts that are quite unknown and like you said, John. Yeah, yeah, lots of factoids. I mean, I think walking in the front door... (laughs) The first thing you see is Operation Manor, which is the feeding the Dutch, I think, when they were starving to death towards the end of the war. And it seemed a little bit <laughs> odd to start with that, if I'm honest. But I guess it was, an, it was a positive start to, to something that's kind of focused on, in a way, mass destruction. Yeah. And as a visitor centre, I think it's something we all agree that if you're into Bomber Command or anything that, you know, your RAF history, it's somewhere that everybody should visit if they're in the area. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I find it fascinating. Um, really well done. And I think actually good for kids as well, because I just wonder how the next generation, so I, well, my age, so I'm, I'm in my 50s, you know, we kind of grew up with Commando Mag and Victor Mag, and we, were, we had a connection through our grandparents to the war. Now, these, our kids don't have that. So it's going to be trickier, I think, to keep them engaged and make, you know, let them remember what happened. And I thought this museum did it really well for children of all ages, really, that they can go there and understand some of the significance of those events. Yeah. And, and actually, 
I've got an eye for it, and I know you guys have as well, but whenever I go anywhere in Lincolnshire, I've always got one eye on the road and one eye in the hedgerows looking for yeah. airfields or anything that might be sort of World War II related. So when we were just heading out for some lunch, we went past an airfield, didn't we? We just saw like a control tower poking out behind some barns, but we didn't actually stop for that because we were en route somewhere else. But it just kind of shows you how much history is still out there if you kind of have an eye for it. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, and I would say that if you're going to do like a, a one day or two day bomber command or Lincolnshire aviation tour, you need to be quite strict with yourself because you will get diverted off literally at every turn. You'll spot something. I mean, it, like James says, it's everywhere. So we had quite a rigid schedule to stick to certain things we wanted to see and places we had to be. So, and I would say to anyone attempting this, do the same. Yeah. I think when we do our feature for the magazine, we'll include a little route of where we went. And if anyone wants to look on the map for that, they would see there's loads of places we could have gone off on a diversion. There's Metheringham down the road, there was Coningsby. But as you say, we were on a bit of a time scale. So we did the memorial and then we decided, well, we wanted a bite of lunch. So we wanted somewhere of a bit of historic significance. So Woodhall Spa was 26 minutes drive from the memorial. So we went to the Petwood Hotel, which... If you're not even interested in war history, it's a fabulous place. You know, it's, it's a lovely, lovely building. But then once you start wandering around in there and you go to the squadron bar, you just see the enormity of the RAF's influence on the area. Yes. Yeah, so what was the significance then, James, with that particular hotel? Well, it's Woodhall Spa, which was you know a famous RAF base. You know, 617 Squadron were based there. There was many, many squadrons there. But I think they embraced the whole of the Danvers thing, you know, took that quite literally to heart. You say they've got the bouncing bomb in the gardens. And then if you go in the squadron bar, they've got loads and loads of bits and pieces, which obviously we took photos of, John. You were quite heavily involved in that. You know, signed photos from Barnes Wallace, all kinds of aircraft memorabilia. Yeah, the bar itself wasn't actually open as a bar, was it? But they did say when we asked that you can go in there and look around. And I dare say you could probably eat your lunch in there, you know, as those pilots and aircrew would have 85 years ago or whatever. And you can go in there and just soak up that atmosphere. And it's a lovely place anyway. I think yeah. what strikes me with the Petwood is that to look at, if you weren't particularly well-versed in military history or World War II history, it looks like a Tudor building. It's one of these grand black and white cottage type feel grand houses that the Tudors would have lived in. And actually that's when it was built. It was built during those times. But it evolved into this place that even though it's got this great history all the way back to, I think it's like the 1800s maybe, which is a while after the Tudors, anyway, it started its military history as a military hospital in World War One, And it's not something you'd know from the outside of the building. But then as soon as you step in, there's all this memorabilia and all this great tribute to both World War One and World War Two. you know, Guy Gibson, Leonard Cheshire. All of these and Operation Chastise is just, you know, one of those great, amazing things that the Petwood Hotel had had the privilege of being involved with, I suppose, because it was the home of the 617 officers for a long while from Canada, New Zealand, Australia, England. So, yeah, I think it's quite poignant to look at. You certainly wouldn't realise that it was steeped in so much history, but then to go inside, it's really quite touching. I always think I romanticise things like this because I think if I go somewhere like that and I go into like the bar, I think 85 years ago, you know, Guy Gibson might have been having a pint, you know, yeah. and a smoke of his pipe in the corner. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> you can almost feel the history of those sort of places, can't you? Mm, yeah, definitely. And it helps that it's so beautiful 
and actually all the staff are really helpful knowledgeable as well so we asked you know what we should be looking at and they all of them were pointing us in the right direction weren't they so oh, you need to go to the squadron bar you know you need to see this you need to do that i think the fact that they were you know i know they're obviously well-trained staff but they were still quite young kids weren't they and yet they mm-hmm. were still able to tell us what we needed to go and see there is one question that we did have that i don't think we managed to find out from anybody did we there was a piece of wood above the bar that's right that you know we were like i wonder what that's from and i've not managed to find anywhere that says what that is i don't know if you two have but if somebody could tell us what it is it's like a it's like a branch isn't it yes yeah, like a tree trunk isn't it? like a narrow arm thick tree trunk bizarrely yeah. It's just secured above the bar and in the squadron bar amongst all of these amazing tributes to Barnes Wallace, Guy Gibson, all these amazing things. And then there's just this massive tree branch above the bar. Is it decorative? Is it what does it mean? So, yeah, if, if, if anyone knows, I'd be really interested to find out what that is. Google could be your friend for that one. I people. <laughs> Try Googling branch. Like branch in Petwood Spa, like, like the Petwood Hotel, sorry. It doesn't really come up. Can I just add one thing that the lunch was really good as well? So, you know, by the time you've kind of trogged around Lincolnshire, you're ready for a bite to eat. We had a great lunch there and it wasn't city prices, was it? So it's, I'd say it's a really good option for stopping. Oh, definitely. I think if you're in the area, you definitely need to go to Woodhall Spa. And I think that's like the grandest place you go and have lunch in Woodhall Spa from what we've uh, seen of our little sort of jaunt around the town. So yeah, definitely go there. But also a little bit down the road, there's the memorial to the squadrons, wasn't there, that we stopped and had a look at? Yeah, so we just parked in the high street, didn't we, and popped over there. And it, again, there was lots of people taking an interest, which I thought was really great to see. And uh, take your camera down there, get some shots, again, soak up the atmosphere. But it really does show that that town was kind of the epicentre to so many things that happened with Bomber Command in World War Two. Yeah, and so there's a handy little car park. If you can't walk very far, if you know you are struggling with your mobility, you can get around all these places quite easily. And also, just looking at all the shops as well, you know, like little tea rooms and stuff, they're all sort of geared towards the RAF, aren't they? They've all got little sort of mementos, and you can see the affection that they've still got for the sacrifice of the crews from the war. Absolutely. And then we went down the road, didn't we, to another pub, actually. They liked their pubs. I suppose no TV. What else are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, that was one of those things that when we were sort of combining our list of places we should go, you know, what if we don't get into the Petwood Hotel? You know, what else in the area is going to be open to somebody who just wants a pint of beer or something, you know, soak up some atmosphere? So literally six minutes drive from Woodhall Spa was the Bluebell Inn and Restaurant in Tattershall Thorpe, I think it is, yeah. And then from outside, it just looks like your typical sort of country boozer. But actually, once you get inside, you see all of the writing on the ceiling, so signed by aircrew throughout the ages, wasn't it? There was like from modern bomber crews right the way down to, I think, 1940 was the eldest one that the landlady could point out to us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there was memorabilia on all the walls, wasn't there? There was these amazing signatures and messages on the ceilings. And then if you walk through to the back, in the, there's a back room and there's a chunk of, I think it was Lancaster wing, affixed to the ceiling. <laughs> You yeah, know, various other kind of mementos just as, as a reminder of those days. Yeah, because when we arrived at the Bluebell, they were very near to closing time, weren't they? So it was like you can have a quick drink if you're very, very, you know, very speedy in ordering. But then when we told the lady behind the bar what we were there for, she suddenly was quite animated, quite warm to us, I think. So she was suddenly saying, oh, well, you need to see this, you need to see that. And she pointed us through to the other bar, didn't she, and the, all the photos on the wall. And then... What I found quite interesting was that she pointed out all the pennies that had been pushed into the wooden beams. 
like they're old yeah. traditional you know, British heavy pennies, weren't they? But they were all from bomber crew. We obviously, put them in there for luck. And you know, I asked her, has she ever been tempted to remove them? Or you know, she said, no, no. We we'll keep an eye on them, make sure no one ever takes them. So they've been there since 1940s, which I think is quite a poignant little reminder. Yeah, amazing that they're still there, actually. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I mean, especially when you think most pubs these days, uh, you know, they've been redecorated about every so many years, aren't they? They tend to lose their character. Whereas it's quite a ramshackle place, but everywhere you looked, there was something of interest. And that's kind of what I always look out for when I look for a pub. I kind of, I want a bit of atmosphere. I, you know, I want to see places where, you know, crews enjoyed a pint and, you know, maybe a game of darts or something like that. And, you know, just unwound after a mission. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, yeah, it was a typical cottage pub, really, wasn't it? Low ceiling, so mind your head on those beams. but. Uh... Definitely worth a visit. And if you were to have lunch at Petwood, then it's a great place maybe later in the day to pop back for an early evening pint. Yeah, most definitely. And from there, it was only another sort of 30 minutes drive to the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre, which most people know as East Kirkby, where the home of just Jane. And that was somewhere we definitely wanted to visit. So I think as a two-parter for the day, the memorial and then East Kirkby, the perfect double header. Absolutely. Uh, again, uh, so we got there, didn't we? And they were just preparing for a big show weekend. So we were hit, hit at quite an exciting time with lots of um, kind of army and RAF vehicles arriving to be part of the event. Uh, lots of people pitching tents and things because they were staying for the entire weekend. But again, the approach was lovely. You can't miss it going by. There's a big sign there and there's a kind of a, um, a modernist model of a Lancaster outside. And That's wire, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like a wireframe Lancaster, which was quite cool. And then we got up there, went in. It's really pristine. Uh, I mean, the family that own it, I think, is it the Pantons? They yeah. they really look after the place and they've nurtured it. And I think they've done an incredible job. So we met the owner briefly. He was very busy, obviously, getting ready for show, but was happy for us to have a good wander around. And, yeah, it's a fascinating couple of hours. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have been there before for my 40th, and I don't look that old, um, but so five years ago, I had a, a taxi ride in Just Jane, which obviously, I think with the work they're doing on the moment to return her to flying, I don't know if that's been curtailed or when that'll be back on the cars, but just to see the Lancaster up close is... I'm you know, so jealous of that. I personally have never really seen a Lancaster just sort of stood there and been right up next to it, well, that I can remember. And sort of as I was stood there, I was thinking how incredible it would be to do that taxi run that you've done, Jane. Yeah, what was that like? It was amazing. It was one of those things that if you like vintage aircraft, which obviously we all do, and you love the sound of a Merlin, but you never think you're going to sit actually in an aircraft and have one going in front of you. But then to have four, you know, two either side, it is quite a din. It sounds amazing, to be honest with you. And it is just, it's just astounding to think that, you know, you know, how many thousands and thousands of horsepower that you control. And it was one of those things that if you've done it, it's it's kind of hard to put into work. It's amazing, but it's something that everyone should do if you get the chance. And it's for a worthy cause because obviously all the proceeds go back into restoring Just Jane to Flight. Yeah, I mean, it looks astonishing. So we walked up and it was in a hangar and the doors were partially opened, weren't they? Maybe 20 foot wide. So you just saw the kind of centre portion of it. And it was like a teaser, really. It just, and it looked so good in that matte satin black paint. It was one of the, it's the coolest thing I've seen this year, I think, I have to say. And what's crazy about that is you spend all that time looking at the Lancaster and then you realise part behind it, there's a mosquito. You, know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you walk around the back and there's a mossy back there. 
Yeah, that hangar's absolutely, you know, packed full of memorabilia. And you can't, you literally too much to take in, really, isn't there? You know, you walk around and you focus on certain things, whatever your um, particular interest is. So mine's kind of a, in the engineering side, and there was just a propeller from a crashed aircraft with all the gearing still attached. And that was just fascinating, trying to work out how the hell all the gears and cogs worked, you know, presumably to feather the blades, turn the propeller, you know, it was... Um, And there's so much of that stuff. I mean, you could spend a day just in there, but obviously we were on a bit of a schedule. I think my favourite thing as well is that you can tell it's still a working workshop. So as you're walking round, half of the hangar you can walk round and then the back half, there's people, I don't know, drilling, I'm not very technical, drilling things and hammering things and all that sort of stuff. And it's quite a nice little background noise, isn't it? It makes you feel like you're a lot more involved in the workshop process because you're there as it's happening yeah there was a chat beaver away on wingtips wasn't there which i think they've done the exchange with the canadian i want to believe i'm not entirely sure where uh, no, but yeah one in france oh okay yeah, I think yeah. You're right. I think French one. but yeah so they've got that and they've got the fuselage section which they were peeling off outer skin on and obviously yeah. to replace all that yeah yeah it was all going on at the back there wasn't it and so the wingtips were actually missing from just jane weren't they so i i think they're doing swaps and renovations and things so it'll probably be a few years till she gets out of that hangar i don't know how quick these things are but um it's great to see the the kind of care and dedication going into these projects and Massively, you know, just yeah. to keep them keep them moving really we had a really lovely little soundtrack as well, as well as the little workshop space in the back. We had all of the 1940s music, didn't we? Because we had all the dancers that were preparing for the weekend. They were practicing under one of the wingtips of the Lancaster. So as we were walking around, you had all your, your Dame Vera Lynns and stuff like that. And it was really lovely. That's a girl's point of view coming across. I love the dancing and the music. The men liked the engineering. The heavy machinery. Yes. <laughs> it was very. It was really atmospheric, wasn't it? I just think it's amazing when those two absolutely iconic aircraft there you know it's an amazing thing to see and everyone should see it and what amazed me is that i never saw it the last time i was there so i wasn't sure if it was there and there was no mention of it in anywhere i'd seen before but they've got the control column from guy gibson's lancaster that's right flew on the dam's mission which to have that is just you know the historical significance of that that actually that's what he controlled his lancaster with when he attacked the dams now, i think that's an amazing amazing bit of war memorabilia I don't know what they paid for it, but I just said that's quite a priceless thing to actually own in a museum collection. Yeah, completely. And it was almost undersold in a way, wasn't it? I'd have had big arrows flashing, pointing at it, saying, do you know what this is? And it was just, it was in a, I think it was in a case, wasn't it? In a glass yeah, case. To, it was not a glass it. case that you sort of walk behind a curtain to have a look at. And then it was only when you read the sign saying that this was saved from his Lancaster as it was being scrapped, that you realised what it was. You know, but everywhere we looked around there, there was something of interest. I think, you know, something of major historical significance, but all Bomber Command related. Yeah. I mean, there must have been, I don't know, 10,000 different items, artifacts in there. It's just astonishing, really. Something for everyone. And then, of course, we crossed over, didn't we? And we went to the old control tower, which is now a museum with the room set up as they would have been with some, I have to say, fairly dodgy dummies. <laughs> with very dodgy hairstyles posing in there. If you don't like mannequins, don't go in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of mannequins, but actually looking at all the stuff they had in there, it was an interesting place, wasn't it? You know, it had definitely had a wartime feel. Yeah, all the communications such as they were and the mapping and everything like that and the people and, and of course, the number of females in there, which, you know, they weren't in the crews, but they were doing this crucial work on the ground. So They had like the actual soundtrack of what would have been played didn't they when um mm. 
when was it a scramble i think going on in the background in these control towers in the speakers i think it was a mission wasn't it they were reporting on aircraft coming back i think it was oh okay yeah 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 Yeah. it was nice it wasn't just silent in there you sort of felt like you were in the hustle and bustle of 80 years ago it was quite yeah can you imagine that waiting for those aircraft so you send i don't know maybe you send 20 aircraft out from a particular airfield and then you're sitting there waiting to see what returns i mean and then 12 or 15 return and it must have been i don't know i don't think our modern brains can kind of handle what that must have been like yeah and when you think about it as well a lot of air crew you know we're married wafts and you know, local girls so let's say you've got an eight hour wait to hopefully your loved ones going to come back from a mission it's kind of quite poignant isn't it when you think about it yeah very much so yeah i think we could easily do another tour like this and take in you know more of the airfields around the area more of the pubs and stuff but I think maybe we do that again at a later date, but what would everybody say was their highlight from our little trip, our day out? I have to say uh, IBCC for me, I, I, because there was, you know, I found a Arthur George Sutheran's carefully laser-cut name on those um, big steel sheets that I remember all the lost air crew. And I just thought it was brilliantly curated, really fascinating, and I'll be heading back there and taking my kids. Tara? I can't choose. Don't make me choose. Every single part of every single one had something that I absolutely adored in it. And I think it's impossible to choose for me. I'm sorry. No, cop out. Cop out. No, sorry. Oh. I, sorry. Actually, I'm going to have to say the Lank as well. <laughs> so I'm actually starting to side with you. Yeah, the Lancaster. How, you know, to see that just kind of gently gleaming in a hangar was, yeah, that was sensational. For me, I think. You know, you've got all the hustle and bustle and you feel like it's trapped in time at East Kirkby almost. Whereas at IBCC, it's more of the memorial side of it. You don't feel like you're necessarily trapped in the time. Mm. You feel like you can pay your respect to the people that did all of this. And then with the Petwood, you know, the Squadron Bar is just incredible to sit there and think, like you said, oh, Guy Gibson could have been smoking his pipe over there 80 odd years ago. and it's impossible, so don't call me a cop-out. Do not call me a cop-out. Go on then, James, what do you think? Uh, well, I asked the question, so I don't have to answer it, but I would say I agree with Tara. It was all of the bits that were trapped in time. So, weirdly enough, I would say it's probably the pennies and the beams at the Bluebell. You know, mm. that, that for yeah. me was just like, just a tiny little detail that possibly you wouldn't have noticed, but actually it encapsulates a specific moment in time that someone would have done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they'd be thinking they'd come back to see it and there's probably a 50% chance that wasn't going to happen. Mm. Yeah. And obviously, readers will be able to read all about our experience in the upcoming November issue. Absolutely. And that is on sale on the 30th of September. Yeah. And I think there's definitely straight for us to do more of these. You know, we could take in Cambridgeshire, we could do Duxford, we can do all manner of places. So if anyone's got any recommendations of places we should go, then uh, drop us a line. John's inwardly screaming, Yorkshire, Yorkshire. Every time. North Yorkshire, North Yorkshire. <laughs> let's be specific. And Yorkshire, well, you know, cultural quality stats, so let's leave it there. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheerio. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by and we hope to catch up with you again soon.